At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to The Makers of Minnesota. We are on podcast number 660, which is awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I got the nicest email last week from a lady. She said, I don't know where I've been for the last year, but I just found your podcast, and I'm dying. She's like, I have been binge listening to as many as I can while I'm in my car driving, and I'm wondering if I should go on a road trip so I can listen to more, which just made me laugh. So thank you if you are listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. You can find us on Podcast One. You can find us on iTunes. And feel free to subscribe so that you know when new episodes are delivered. We typically deliver them on a Tuesday, sometimes on a Monday night. Um, And they come out every week. So there we go. I'm Stephanie Hansen. If you could give us a review, too, that's great. It helps more people find the podcast. And if you like the what you're hearing and you want to recommend makers to me feel free we have a facebook page an instagram page also a twitter account and you'd be surprised i get suggestions and i actually do follow up with these people um so thank you for sharing that information we are here today with a jeweler named larissa loden and you are the founder of the company larissa and i can remember the very first day i first came across your jewelry and uh, welcome, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You were at a market at the Midtown Global Market, mm. and I came around the corner, and I saw this little box that had a lot of little boxes within the box, like a shadow box, I guess they call them. And there were little charms in there that were maps of places that people had been, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. And I was looking at the little places, and it was just a mob scene, and I I wanted to get one of my lake, and I couldn't find it. So I went on your website, and you were like, hey, you can custom order if you want to custom order a charm. So I custom ordered charms for all of my um, nieces and nephews uh, for Burnside Lake because we have a cabin there. So that was my first experience with you. How welcome to the program number one. Thank you. How did you think about turning these maps into keepsake charms? Um, it kind of started. So I started making jewelry. Um, How old were you when you started? I was uh, seventeen, eighteen. I had I was always into art, creating things, making things, and then my art teacher actually made me a necklace um, as like my senior gift going away, and I was like, oh, you can make jewelry, like a total light bulb moment. Yeah, I was like. Uh, I had no idea. And it was funny because I was actually, I grew up in upstate New York and then I moved to Minnesota and like every natural thing, when you come to Minnesota, you go to the Mall of America yep. and I got a job at the Mall of America is like my first thing. Like, yeah, which is funny now looking back on it, you know, that I was like, oh, how cliche is that? Like a girl moves to Minnesota and then she gets a job at the Mall of America. Sure. But it was at a bead store actually. So it just. Was even, it the bead monkey? Um, It wasn't the bead monkey. It was actually called Beat It. And okay. we had people doing Michael Jackson. Um. 
<laughs> songs outside of the That's hilarious. store all the time. And so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so it just kind of like I kept on making it from there. So I was making jewelry and then the way the map necklaces actually came around was that I was an exchange student in high school to Latvia. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you can't find anything Latvian on no. it. It just doesn't exist. Um, so I made one of Riga for myself. Um, and then growing up, you know, as a maker, you know, I was like, people were always like, oh, my God, you should make more of those. I was like, well, I'm actually making jewelry, so why don't we just make map necklaces, too? And so that was, like, the bread and butter of my company for a couple of years was map necklaces. So. Because I I feel like... That is such – they're inexpensive. I mm-hmm. think there were $20 when I bought it. I don't know if they're still that much now. but Yeah, they're, they're, we have like kind of two varieties. We have like the map pendant, which is 25 and then the map locket, which is 30 so, All right. Yeah. So it was inexpensive. It was a perfect price point just for – I felt like not guilty buying them for myself too. And there's something about where you're from or where you went mm-hmm. to college or where your cabin is that's just a real sense of place. So is that the product that kind of launched Larissa Loden in terms of a jewelry company? Yeah, I would say it was kind of one of the first products that gave us, um, you know, just enough orders to kind of really get rolling and everything. And we also, um, I say we because I work with many people now or have lots of people that work with me. We're a big team now. Um, But uh, it really was like that. And I also started right when Etsy was getting really popular. Yeah, And so it was like the two of them combined really just really helped launch – my company what it is today and everything so when you started with the map pendants mm-hmm. uh did you carry inventory or was it like etsy where someone ordered something and then you went and made it because i would imagine you didn't know like what inventory you were going to need and no we didn't know but i totally did carry inventory of it um I did a lot of like art fairs, like you saw, like, you know, coming up. And so you need to have places like that get people excited. And it was just, and I would always kind of do like, you know, your Paris, your London, your New York, but I would always throw in these like random ones because those were the ones that seeing people's reaction to those, it just like made my day. They were like, first off, they were always like, why do you have this location? I was like, for you. I was, it was waiting here for you. Yeah. Um, but then of course, you know, we obviously make them like, you know, if we don't have your location, your lake and everything, but yeah, like having that inventory really always started those beautiful conversations in the booth of like, oh my God, you have this, like, I mean, and having that inventory has been amazing too. Like we did a music festival in, um, Washington state once and monsters of men was playing Mm -hmm. and they were totally walking around and they saw one sitting in my booth of Reykjavik and they're like, why do you have this? And I was like, Oh, you know, because, you know, people like Reykjavik. And then I was like, slowly, like, they were speaking in a different language. I was like, are you guys like the band Monsters of Men? And they're like, oh, yeah. Do you want a photo? I was like, oh, my God. Yes, Yes, I do. Yeah. Like, I was just kind of like dumbstruck. And then I was like, so, yeah. So, like, having inventory has really, like, made some amazing moments for us. So, yeah. So, at some point, and you'll laugh when I say this, I think, at some point, you must have been like, okay. If I have to make another map necklace, I'm going to kill someone because you're a creative person, you're a jeweler, you're making other types of jewelry. About how long after you started the map craze did you just be like, oh, gosh, I know this is the bread and butter of my company, but I can't stand it? Um, I would probably say a couple years ago, but we still totally make them and everything, but it's like... It's one of those things that you kind of, always as a maker, you have to be kind of constantly evolving and um, staying true to your roots, but evolving. We all evolve as people. And so, like, you know, I really started getting into more, like, geometric designs. Um, and so that kind of started taking over, like, my displays at booths and shows mm-hmm. and websites and everything. So you can still totally order custom maps, and I will 
totally sit in my studio and cut them out for you, but they're just like less of a presence at the booth and everything. Whereas it used to be like three like trays full of like map pendants, and now it's like just like a tiny little like sliver. Yeah, I would say. and I would yeah. imagine too, depending on the if you're going to a trade show or what kind of booth you're in, that you know it depends on that too. Yeah. Do you still do a lot of? There's a lot of maker events now, and do you go to these maker booths, or is that just really time consuming and not super profitable? Um, I do, I do, and I actually have I have a great team that I work with, and so they help me out and they go to them as well. Um, I definitely kind of consider myself a workaholic, but I good love, to know. But I do love that. Like it's funny because I think for some people they view it as like this like negative term, but I found that that's actually something that I love like working and trying to make my business better. Um, it's something I truly enjoy, and you know, and always thinking about like you know what can we offer or how can we do something differently. So. For me, it's definitely not something. So, like, going to an event for me is still pleasure. It's it's hard work, but I've been doing it now. Um, I've been making and selling things in one form for about 12 years now. So, it's like, doing that is just like, we have, like, a kit ready to go in the right. studio. You know, you just, like, grab X, Y, and Z, and then you go to the event. So. To systematize it, which yeah. I'm sure is smart. So, yeah. if you were going to rank, like, okay, I have Etsy as one revenue source i have my website as another Mm -hmm. revenue source and i have these shows is the show the number one revenue source or has it switched where it's your website so my business is about 40 percent retail and 60 percent wholesale Mm -hmm. so wholesale is um our bread and butter that's like kind of what keeps us you know constantly busy throughout the whole entire year was it always like that no it definitely wasn't always like that um it was Almost always, it started out with like doing shows um, and like the online, mm-hmm. but it really honestly started with shows because I started doing shows right about in like 2004. I mean, and that's right kind of when Etsy launched, but people weren't super familiar with right. it. Like this idea of buying like handmade goods online was pretty foreign. And- Which is so funny yeah. now, but I remember <laughs> that exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and shows have been around forever. Like, everybody knows. A like, craft show. Yeah, yep. a craft show, you know? Like, it's just been something that has, it will always be there, and I don't think it will ever go away. It's definitely taken different forms. You know, it was definitely more of, like, your traditional craft fair than it was, like, kind of, like, the indie craft fair. Yep. And now it's, like, the pop-up, you know? Yep. So it's, like, you know, it's kind of got, had its series, but... Um, I don't ever, people like going out and, you know, seeing stuff in person and shopping, especially for more novelty-esque items, yeah. you know, that you wouldn't see in like a really huge retailer and stuff. So so yeah. do you remember the first wholesale account that came to you and said they wanted to carry your product? Um, I don't know if I remember the first wholesale account, but I remember the store that actually had helped launch us into wholesale, which is a, a cliche right here in Minneapolis. Um, we were doing consignment with them. They actually found me... Um, during Minnesota Fashion Week, there used to be this amazing fashion show called Voltage Fashion Amplified. Which, I remember. Yeah. By which City was, Pages. Yeah. Yep. With the runway. Uh, but it was like rock and roll and like live bands. It was amazing. And so there was like a pre event for that, for them to kind of meet the designers, like different stores and boutiques and press and everything. And so Cliche came up to me and they're like, you know, do you do consignment? And I had done like a little bit then, and but still was kind of like nervous about it. But I had been to their store and I was like, I knew that this was like, you know, a great store to be yeah. in. So I started doing that and, you know, done consignment with them for a year or two. And they always had gone to Vegas and done this um, trade show called Cool is There, which is part of magic. It's um, a big like fashion accessories one. Yep. 
And pool has like kind of a nice like mini rate. So they're all about kind of finding like new um, emerging designers. And so they have like, it's still, it's like crazy expensive. Like um, when you're starting out, you're like, when you sign the check, you're like, oh my God, I hope I like. Is it like $2,000? Exactly. Yeah. Actually, it's $2,000 for like a six foot booth. So it's like. I remember <laughs> my first check as a business owner yeah. going to a trade show in <laughs> Vegas and the booth was $2,000 yeah. and feeling like, okay, I'm doing it. Yeah. Like you're paying this for like a six foot spot, like a table. And you're just like, what am I doing? But, um, you know, it started from there and we made money. Like, and it's funny now because if we had made the amount of wrote the amount of orders that I had wrote at that first one, I've been like, this is a terrible show. I like can't right. believe this. But now but that but then I was like, oh my God, like this is I've awesome. arrived. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yo, here I am. So um yeah, so it kind of started with that and then it's just kind of snowballed from there. So So how many people work for you now? Um I have um four people that work for me, two part-timers, two full-timers. Um and then we also have about five amazing people, contractors mm-hmm. that help us make. So like stay-at-home moms and college students that help us I make the jewelry. I was going to ask you about that. Like yeah. what percentage of your day is actually making jewelry right now? Um <laughs> not a ton. Um I do try to make uh stuff every day. I try to um always get my hands on the tools. A lot of time it's designing something that, I mean, and it's pretty common with a lot of, you know, once you get to a certain level, like, you know, you'll design, but other people have got to pitch and there's just, you can't. That's the irony of it, isn't it? It so is. I mean, there comes a point when you're a business owner that you just realize you can't do it all. And so you just try to find the best people possible to help you do you. Do you remember that point? And do you remember when you felt like I have to hire someone and what that felt like? Um, I think... I mean, I think it was a point when I, because I had already started doing wholesale and it was just getting really kind of crazy. Um, You know, luckily, like, you know, my husband and I didn't have kids at the moment. And so we still don't have kids, but it's, you know, that's a different podcast, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So it was just kind of like, you know, so I was able to still devote my whole entire time to this, but it was still just getting to a point where I was like, you know, just con- waking up, you know, eating something really quickly and getting right to working right. and everything. And um, so I actually put out a listing for an intern because I was like so nervous. And I was like, I can still make everything. But I was like, maybe I can teach like an intern like how to list things on Etsy and like take really great photography photos. So like they get something out of it, too. Yep. So I was like nervous about like, yeah, like the first time when you have to like pay someone a paycheck yeah. and everything. Like that's a lot of responsibility because it's not just you who you're responsible for. It's somebody else. So I found this, like, amazing person. She had just graduated from Bemidji State, um, and she's still with me today. We just uh, – it's our fifth year together, actually. Oh, nice. Was, yeah. So I have to take – we're taking her to CanCan later this week, which is going to be fun. But, uh, yeah, um, and she was amazing. And within, like, uh, about six weeks, I was like, I feel so terrible not paying you. We're just going to pay you. We're going to figure this out and everything. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and it slowly – like, she started out super part-time, like, you know, like – a day and a half and then you know and now she's been full-time with me for three years now so well yeah. and I think that speaks to you too because I that moment where you're hiring somebody and you are sacrificing because you're not making any money at this point I'm imagining yeah. and you're sacrificing whatever money you're not making yeah to this other person and then they stay with you and then they see the potential and then it grows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really rewarding. Do you ever think about what it would be like if you sold the company or do you think that this is just like what you're going to be doing for the duration? 
Um, it's an interesting question. I, it's something that I've that I've been asked a, several times lately, which is kind of interesting. I, as a business owner, um, and I'm a person that reads a lot of like, um, I wouldn't say like businessy books, but I like listen to like a lot of books about like other business owners. Like I'm listening to a book on about uh, Amazon Jeff Bezos right now, mm-hmm. and it's just this kind of like. I think there's a certain point where you know it's a smart decision to sell the business, mm-hmm. and so I don't think that's for us now. Um, I think we have still a ton of room to grow and like you know uh, figure out different procedures and systems and make it just like the best business it possibly can be. Yep. Um, but if the person came around, um, I totally would because I mean part of my passion would also be just like kind of mentoring other makers and stuff too. And I um, also used to be an art teacher while I was doing all of this too, so. I said I like to work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, and I still have a huge passion for education, too. So it's definitely something that I, I feel like the world has so many possibilities that I would I like to keep all my options open. But for right now, it's totally doing the business and jewelry. So at Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. In the time frame that you've launched this business, Etsy came on board. Mm-hmm. Then you had Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Now you have social media as a whole, which is a whole lifestyle around what it is that you're doing. Are you knee deep in the social media space? And tell me about how you learned it. Um, I would say I'm pretty deep in it i feel like it's so funny i was like there's this recent thing that came out like there's gen x's and millennials and i'm a millennial but i don't feel like a millennial so there was this like zennial thing that came yep. out and i felt like I, I was still one year off from that and i was like i'm not really like a millennial like but the millennial time frame is too long it's so big and so like, and the reason i bring that up is because it's like i totally get social media and everything but like i'm I have a Snapchat account because my brother's on it, but I've never made one snap for the life of me. Yeah, like Instagram stories. I was like, okay, I kind of under, I can get this now. It's like, you know, at least it's within this like social media platform that I use. Um, So I feel like we're, I mean, we're very strong in it, but I don't feel like we're as strong as some companies that are just like a tad younger. Like there's some people that can just like, you can hashtags and everything. And it just is like, it just seems so flawless and like, you know, and so... I do social media where it's like I truly feel inspired and I feel like I have something worthy to say um, because otherwise I feel like it comes off or like forced and I'm just so I don't do it. I don't feel like you should ever post just to post like to me you you can tell companies that do that and it just seems forced a little bit. So So when you look at your feed you've got jewelry on your feed but Mm -hmm. do you I think people have a hard time striking the balance between lifestyle too. Yeah. How much lifestyle do you put in there in comparison to product? Um, we do, I mean, it's mostly product. I would say it's probably like a 20, 80 split. So like 80 product, but it's like stylized, you know, it's nothing like we just like, Oh, we just got our like website stock white photos back, you know, like, let's just pull that. Like, you know, we like totally take it down in like the studio and try to arrange things or be like, you know, have my cup of coffee in there with it. Um, but definitely I don't do any, probably about like three, four years ago, I stopped putting anything that was like super, super personal in there. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, I'm at my best friend's like birthday party right now. You know, like it's something different if you're like, you know, wearing something like you're wearing your outfit to your best friend's birthday party, you know, and you're like, you know, snap a sweet picture of your outfit and it has the, you know, whatever you make on it, but it's something different. Like 
it's so weird, like social media sometimes, because it's like my friend and I once talked about this. Like she's this amazing crafter and she's got something like 50K followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she we joked one time that anytime she would post a picture of herself, like her face, she would lose like 100 followers. Like they want to see you, but they don't want to see, see you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I find the reverse because I post just food. Oh, yeah. So I rarely post a picture of myself. And I mean, I rarely do. But when I do, yeah. like that's the picture yeah. that and I think it's because I do it so little that yeah. it's like, oh, this is what this lady looks like. That is a size 14 that yeah. just eats constantly. But it is. And you Food have to kind of know what your audience is, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and it's like, and but it makes sense. Like, people follow Larissa Loden because of we're a jewelry brand, you know, that definitely you know fits a certain type of lifestyle. But you know, they want to see us and the company and us doing things and like new products that we have and how they could stylize it. But I mean, they don't want to see. I get it. Like, they don't want to see maybe like you know how amazing I looked at like a friend's birthday party or how right. unamazing I looked <laughs> as well because I just got off of working ten hours. So yeah. So you say you're listening to books. Do yeah. you uh, when this is just a? I'm going to ask you some real random questions. Oh, I love it. Do when it. you have a piece of jewelry yeah. and you're going to put it on sale, you're going to it's going to be thirty eight dollars. Yeah. Let's just say. Do you have a sense of exactly how much you make off that piece? Um, yes and no. Um, I do have a sense. I don't follow like a lot of sometimes makers that follow like a very like strict like you know algorithm of like this is the cost of materials. This yes. is the cost of my time. I don't do that. Um, because I I go off of my gut of perceived value. I know some pieces that we make. The stones cost more. The components cost more. But I don't think the perceived value is there. And then other pieces. It's the opposite of it. Like it only costs X and Y to make it, but the perceived value is more. And you know you can get more. Yeah, that's smart. And I, so I just kind of average it out um, because I just, I mean, we've, when I started the company, I always very much so was, we were affordable then because I was a poor college student and I was like, oh my God, all these jewelers make all this expensive jewelry and I can't afford any of it. And it's cool. So I was like, I'm just going to make my own company and it's going to be affordable. Um, And we've just like stuck to that and I just I don't think we'd ever like go away from it, but so it's just always kind of like looking at like that safe perceived value, you know, like you can like you were saying earlier, you know, like you knew you could buy that map necklace. It wasn't gonna like have this weird feeling, like kind of this gut feeling in your stomach. You were like, oh my god, I don't know if I can do this. Like, yeah, oh, no, it's super fair, it's you know, affordable, and you and know. I can buy it for myself and not feel bad. Yeah. What's the most expensive piece of jewelry you've sold? Um, probably like one. 28 it's like a cameo bib necklace they're yeah. really labor intensive and they're like vintage cameos and it's so funny because like people are like you can get so much more for this and i was like i could but like those aren't like they are like they're just that's not like my my motto at the end of the day you know like and it, i don't want to scare off my customers either like they definitely know like you know that you know, for 50 bucks like they could get like a necklace and an earring you yeah. know or like you know they just like it's that really giftable, feel good, give it to a friend kind of price point. So I wore a piece of your jewelry today because I knew you were coming in. It's a little (laughs) pocket knife from Canada that's on a necklace that I love. Where do you find some of the unique and unusual things that you make and turn into jewelry? Do you go to vintage stores or? Yeah, so definitely when it kind of started. So it's like, so our first tagline when, you know, we're starting to get big was vintage meets modern. And that was because, um, go to actually these all old dead stock warehouses um pretty much they're all like northeast there's a couple like i'd also go to tucson which is a really big gem and mineral show in february um 
And so these, but in Northeast, there's these like old dead stock warehouses and they're literally just like floor to ceiling full of old jewelry stock. And you scrounge around. It's like American pickers of jewelers a yeah. little bit. And yeah. you just scrounge around um, and you check out and sometimes it's by the pound. Like it's just this weirdness. Like there's one of them that I go to in actually New York City. You literally like are stepping on. Like I always have to remind myself to wear shoes when I go there, not sandals because- yeah. I stepped on, like, so many things there once, like, wearing Birkenstocks that it, like, hurt. So, and so we started out doing just, like, all vintage components, um, which was great. And we, I still try to bring a lot of those pieces back. But as we started doing wholesale, we ran into this big issue. It was, like, you know, so many stores would order a piece, like, during a season. And then, like, we weren't able to fulfill orders. Right. Because like, it would sell out. And so we were, I was, like, well, this isn't really working. Um like, it is and it isn't working. Like, obviously, it's working because people love it, but it's not working because then the store isn't getting a piece that they were expecting, and now they're upset. And so we started then kind of doing a mix, like, where we'd have, like, limited runs of vintage pieces and then kind of stuff that is out of, like, new material. And so a lot of that newer material is, like, I get a Tucson, and I go over here, like, I source it, like, yep. going to the gemstones, and then, like, making relationships with those businesses. And sometimes getting stuff like custom cut for us and certain stones and everything. So, are there makers locally that you're just like, oh, they're so great? Oh yeah, there's tons of great local makers. Um, Give me your top three. Uh good friend of mine, Aisha of Everthine Jewelry. Um, she's amazing. I was about to swear, and then I was like, I don't know if I can swear. You can swear. It's a podcast. <laughs> I was like, she's a. I was like, she's a badass. <laughs> she's badass. <laughs> um, uh, she's truly. Just, I love everything that she does. Um, and then I have to say, my good friends, they're down the hallway. Um, I thank them so much at Worker Bee. Um, so they're a bee company. I mean, they just, like, do a lot, but they make um, skincare out of bee products. And literally this morning, I, like, walked in the studio, and my skin is hating me right now. And so they, like, hooked me up with this, like, lotion because I don't know about everybody else, but my skin is so dry right now. I it... was just... <laughs> thinking that earlier today yeah. so that's funny yeah so like i it, think i bought the moth necklace that oh yeah i have that looks like a bee yeah from them at rummage last year and it's actually your piece yeah that's that's, that's totally possible yeah no and so they're just they're truly amazing um and they're also like i just love them because of what they're they're a great business partner down the hallway like we so we're out of the northrop team building in northeast minneapolis and i used to be a work at home business um which is great because, you know, it keeps your overhead low. But I do love working in an artist building because you can just, like, say things to people and that just, like, you know, like, get pitch off ideas or just kind of talk about, like, you know, how crappy your day is sometimes. Yeah, and you need community sometimes. You I do. have an office that I go to. I don't go there every day, but I go a lot. Just, just I have an office mate. I have people I talk to. Oh, yeah. Working by myself was just so boring. Yeah. No, um, and then another one that I think they're doing um, just really great stuff is not an Ivy. They're um, just uh, just macrame and mm-hmm. just but really good clean lines and everything. Um, and I shouldn't say like just macrame. In macrame, which is funny. Yeah, I mean macrame has this got this huge resurgence now, which I is know. amazing. But their stuff is just like um, it just has really good lines to it, and like I'm just. That kind of stuff, you know, and it's they don't go too crazy. It's yep. like they edit. And that's, I think, that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people have a hard time. And they're pretty young still, which is having that editing eye. So I really like that aspect of them. Can you think of a time where you just made a huge mistake? <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. Oh, which course. one? Oh, of course. Um, 
sometimes when I I um I, uh, I notoriously sign up for too much. Um, I have a problem saying no to things. Um, and so, so what does that look like? You'll overcommit and do have too many shows in a day, or just don't give yourself a break. Um, more so, I don't give myself a break. Um, and I I don't need a lot to recharge, but um, you know, it just you know pulling all-nighters at the studio and stuff. And I have an amazing husband that is super understanding, and he's like, this is you, and you got to do what you do and everything. Um, thanks, babe. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, I would definitely, like, I'm like when people say, like, life-work balance, like, that to me is not quite right. But there's a point when you truly know you've overcommitted yourself, and you know in your course, of course, like, you've, you know, Running just on fumes. Yeah, I'm running on fumes. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, a really great, like, one X time that I super screwed no, up I and think everything. That's, I think it's interesting yeah. just, you know, the overworking piece. So what do you do for that balance? Do you do yoga? Do you exercise? Is there something that you carve out of every single day or week that's really important to you? Um, I do a couple of things. Um, I was actually rowing with the Minneapolis Rowing Club. I had to stop this season. I think you also need to be honest with yourself sometimes, too. We just moved into a new house. Mm-hmm. In between moving into a new house selling another house and running a business i was just like at the end of the day like uncle yeah Yeah. it was very much so that point um so i hope that next season i can get back to that but i do i go work out at a great gym um i love to cook so i do that um that being said i don't have a lot of time to go grocery shopping or do stuff so i do a lot of uh hello fresh and blue apron you do which i have to say i do love them Um, that is really surprising to me because i I feel like the people that I know that do HelloFresh or Local Creator or whatever yeah. it is, that they are people that don't love cooking, but oh. they love the convenience of it all being ready and prepped. And so you're one of the few people I've heard that is a cook that yeah. loves it because of the convenience aspect. Yeah, it's totally a convenience aspect. And I have to say they've done a couple of things that I feel like make me a better cook at home, like things that I just nece- necessarily, like, like right before the podcast it was started, I was telling Stephanie about this amazing like Greek yogurt roasted eggplant thing, which I never would have, I just never would have picked that. Like for me, like I feel like you get in this like tunnel vision of recipes yeah. sometimes that you're like, I know that I'm going to like X, whereas like these, it's like, you know, you've got six choices that week. So which three are you going to pick? You so know? do you schedule like, OK, I am a busy person. I'm going to do one this week. Do you schedule two this week? That's the other thing I think is weird hmm. about those. Like, I don't know what I'm going to when I'm going to be cooking this week. How much lead time do you need to have? Um, you know, you can go out pretty far. And I do I do I do um, like the three meals like once a week. I don't do any excess because like gotta leave four days for for chance and you yep. know i do go out with friends and like you know we go out and get drinks and everything so do you you do three a week yeah three a so week. so you probably don't buy groceries that much um <laughs> i do and i don't i love like so one of my favorite shows that we do is the mill city's farmer's market yeah and that's because i love everyone there and the, so my husband says like i'm just this notorious like anytime i go into a store i don't buy like a ton of things but if it's like a food related product I'm always like, I have this like, sh- like condiments in my pantry for day that are all amazing. You, you and know? me both. Yeah. Like, I, my whole refrigerator is condiments. I can hardly fit the food. Yeah. It's That's just, funny. Yeah. It's kind of insane. But yeah. So I mean, but for me, it's, I mean, it's like, but I love like this, the process and like the, what people have done behind that too. Like I often always say like, I am a hundred percent, I design my jewelry, but I'm totally like a process oriented person, like a maker, like a, like processes 
fascinate me, like everybody's process. So. But the fact that you have processes or talk about yeah. them is pretty interesting from a maker perspective because a lot of people don't. So I've, I have learned, I've slowly learned that, um, not slowly learned that, but it's been something that I've really been picking up on. And I think it's also like why I love reading, um, not reading. I have books read to me because <laughs> I don't have time to read. I sound like a diva there. No, no, not at all. I get <laughs> it. His best book I read recently was Aziz Ansari's Modern Romance. And he was like, what, you can't read? And I was like, no, legit. He's like, I don't have time to read right now. Like, I'm so sorry. Why are you yelling at me? Um, but yeah, I like, I love listening to books about people's processes um, and like looking at people's processes because you learn so much from that, like what people are doing. Um, and that can only help you, you know, um, you are going to make mistakes in your business, but if you can learn from other people's mistakes, that's that's gold right there. So, how do you handle healthcare? Um, I'm so like super, 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 super lucky. My husband um, does take care of that for us. Um, but that's also I I was honestly teaching up until two and a half years ago, um, just so that I had healthcare yep. and that kind of um, stuff. So, um. You know, I, I definitely um, there was one thing that was fascinating in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. And she says, um, don't make your creativity pay um, for you until it's right, because that is a lot um, of pressure to put on your creativity. And I when she said that, I was like, that's 100 percent why I made the choices that I have made, you know, working super hard, you know, keeping teaching when I, you know, yep. I, I was teaching and still had two, I had two employees and was teaching. That's because, like, A, I was like, maybe this isn't a sure bet, um, you know, and eventually you have to take the plunge. But I think it was also, like, I really was just like, you know, I don't, I want that little nest egg there, you know, because owning a business is, it's like, you know, the income flows are up and down. Yep. And I just really wanted to make sure, like, you know, that, like you said earlier, like, you know, if the, you know, that I had my teaching income to pay for me so that way the jewelry business income could pay for my employees just as if it needed to, you know, so, yeah. And it made it pleasurable for you to have it. It was like a hobby that, and I don't even want to say a hobby, but that it was no. something that you enjoyed that you could see grow yeah. and there wasn't that financial pressure of... No, 100%. And I hope that everybody that starts a business, that it is some sort of hobby, passion, love. Like, you, you know, you just don't start it for like, because it totally was. It was a love. So, yeah. One thing that's interesting about what you just said that's unique that I haven't heard is mm -hmm. most people quit their jobs too early. Yeah. They're paying jobs and then they, they're like, oh, I have six months to a year of just all these unforeseen things that I mm -hmm. didn't think about. You seemed like you really waited almost till, dare I say, a little too late, not too late ever, but like yeah. right at the... Yeah, I, I really did. Um, I think I kind of knew. Um, I think a lot of us, you always kind of know in your course, of course, when it's right. And sometimes you maybe did something too soon or too right. You're like, you're just hoping that you get it right on the money, like you do something right. And so I um, I think what was hard is that it wasn't hard. I was actually, I shouldn't say, I was actually a pre, an all right teacher. And yeah, I taught in a. That that was a passion that you loved too. Yeah, and I, I taught. Can still hear that. Yeah, and I taught uh, middle school media arts with a great, great school, Northeast Middle School. Um, You know, and and then I became a teacher mentor, which also was amazing. Um, And I, I truly did love it. And so it was hard for me because it's like, it would be one thing if I think, I, maybe this would be a different conversation if I was doing a job that I truly disliked. Yeah. But I loved both of them. So it's like, you have to make a choice. It's like choosing, you know, which, you know, which one do you go for? And at the end of the day, um, two things kind of really 
made me realize it was that um, teaching will always be there for me if I want to go back to it. Whereas yep. this business, it's, it's, you know, you get one shot at it, you know, so I had to do it. And then the other was like, um, we did just had started having talks with the Smithsonian. They had, it was like a trade show season in the summer and they were like, you know, we want to place this order. And I was like, oh my God. And they're like asking for all these style numbers and SKUs. And I was just like. I seriously don't know how I'm going to teach. Like, I seriously was like, I was like trying to figure out in my mind. I was like, you know, maybe we'll hire like this other person and then like we'll do this and that. And I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, no, I yeah. I have to make. And so, and my um, principal was a, our vice principal. She's my principal in my mind. Um, <laughs> she was super awesome. And she was like, no, you, you need to do you. It's time. And like, you know, because we were already like three weeks into the school year and she made it work for me. Um. Yeah, and That's amazing. Just, and we've been doing it ever since. So yeah. All right. One last question before we go. Yeah. Do you have a motto or like something that you say to yourself over and over and over? Um, I I do. Um, it's actually dig deep. Um, and just because I think that a lot of sometimes uh, you just dig a little deeper, you can do something and just keep going and everything. So um, I also I say always when I'm exercising to myself, I'm just like. <laughs> When I feel dig like deep. I'm going to die on the rowing machine, I'm just like, dig deep, Larissa. Dig deep. You can do this. Just do a little bit more. So, yeah. I uh, like it. Yeah. But it yeah, is, dig deep. Yeah. That is uh, Larissa Loden's motto. Thank you for being here today Thank on the so Makers much. Podcast. It's really great to spend time with you. I'm a huge fan. Oh, it was Thanks awesome. Thanks for being I on the show. I'm like, oh, my God, I could talk for more hours. Yeah. You could. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.